This is Space Time Series 26, Episode 50, for broadcast on the 26th of April, 2023. Coming up on Space Time, Ingenuity achieves its half-century, Curiosity gets a major software update, and the biggest brown dwarf ever seen. All that and more coming up on Space Time. Welcome to Space Time with Stuart Gary. NASA's Mars Ingenuity helicopters reached the half-century mark, completing its 50th flight on the Red Planet. The journey was a major achievement for the tiny tissue box-sized aircraft, which was only ever designed to undertake a handful of test flights simply to see if it was possible to fly on another planet. After all, the Martian atmosphere is incredibly thin, just 1% of air pressure at sea level on Earth. The history-making rotocopter's latest journey involved negotiating some of the most hazardous terrain it's encountered on Mars so far. The flight covered a distance of 322.2 metres in 145.7 seconds, in the process setting a new altitude record of 18 metres before landing near the 800-metre-wide Belva Crater. With Flight 50 now in the mission logbooks, the helicopter team plan on performing another repositioning flight before they explore the Fall River Pass region of Jezero Crater. Laurie Glees, the director of the Planetary Science Division at NASA headquarters in Washington, says just as the Wright brothers continued their experiments well after that momentous day at Kitty Hawk in 1903, the Ingenuity team will continue to pursue and learn from their flight operations of the first aircraft on another world. Ingenuity landed on the red planet's Jezero crater in February 2021, attached to the underbelly of NASA's Mars Perseverance rover, and has just marked the second anniversary of its first flight, which took place on April 19, 2021. It was designed as a technology demonstrator that wasn't meant to fly more than four or five times. The helicopter was simply intended to prove that powered, controlled flight on another planet was possible. But Ingenuity has exceeded expectations and has now transitioned into being an operations demonstration. Every time Ingenuity gets airborne, it covers new ground, providing a perspective that no previous planetary mission could ever achieve. Imagery from the helicopter has demonstrated how aircraft could serve as forward scouts for future planetary expeditions, identifying both hazardous terrain to be avoided and interesting objects to be studied. By testing this helicopter's limits, engineers are gathering flight data which will be used by scientists working on designs for future possible Mars helicopters. And that includes the people designing the choppers for the Mars Sample Return Campaign, which proposes to use at least two recovery helicopters. Since leaving the relatively flat confines of Jezero Crater's floor on January the 19th, Ingenuity has flown 11 times, in the process setting a new speed record of 6.5 metres per second as well as its new altitude record. Although the deep chill of winter and regional dust storms which can block the sun's rays from reaching the helicopter's solar panels have now abated, Ingenuity continues to brown out at night. As a result, the helicopter's base station on the rover needs to search for Ingenuity's signal every morning at the time the rotocopter's predicted to wake up. And when the helicopter does fly, it now needs to navigate rugged and relatively uncharted terrain, and often landing in spots that can be surrounded by hazards. 
ingenuity is flying over the dried up remains of an ancient river that's filled with sand dunes, boulders and rocks surrounded by hills. The flights are still white-knuckle rides for the mission managers back on Earth. Beyond facing more challenging terrain, Ingenuity will also fly at a greater frequency in the coming days. That's because the chopper needs to remain within electronic airshot of the rover. With its autonav capabilities, the Perseverance rover can travel hundreds of metres every day. And Ingenuity relies on Perseverance to act as a communications relay base between it and mission controllers back at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California. If the rover gets too far ahead or disappears behind a hill, communications could be lost. The rover team has its job to do and is scheduled to keep, so it's imperative for the Ingenuity team to keep up and to lead wherever possible. Perseverance recently completed exploring Fold Dragum, a scientific target that may contain hydrated silica, which is of strong astrobiological interest. And it's currently headed for Mount Julian, which will provide a panoramic view onto the nearby Belva Crater. Built with lots of off-the-shelf components such as smartphone processors and cameras, Ingenuity is now 23 Earth months and 45 flights beyond its expected lifetime. So far, the rotocopter's flown over 89 minutes and more than 11.6 kilometres. But surpassing expectations like this comes at a cost. Some of the helicopter's components are showing signs of wear and tear, and the terrain is becoming more challenging. Of course, the Ingenuity team realises that ultimately, every great mission must come to an end. But as to whether Ingenuity's mission ends tomorrow, next week, or in a couple of months' time from now, that's something that no one can predict at present, but they all know it will happen. This report from NASA TV. Two years ago, Ingenuity proved that we could do the impossible. We can fly on Mars. Let's talk about what's next. Here at the Surface Robotics Lab, testing is being done on future Mars helicopters. Teddy Sanatos is here with us today to talk about the helicopter that started it all, Ingenuity. Teddy, what's the latest? Ingenuity is doing great. Our baby's still flying on the surface of Mars. After two Earth years, one Mars year of total flight, racked up 10 kilometers or 6.2 miles of total distance flown. Our rotor system, our little cell phone processor on board, our off-the-shelf lithium-ion batteries are all doing fantastic. One area that we're looking very closely at is our solar panel. You can imagine after two years of flying on the surface of Mars, you'll get some dust on top. But we still have ample margin and ample energy to keep up our flight operations and the extended mission of continuing to scout and push the flight envelope of what's possible. The testing being done in this room is part of the next helicopter mission to Mars called the Sample Recovery Helicopters. The goal is to be a backup to get these samples back to Earth. Put simply, Perseverance collects the sample tubes. The sample return lander will retrieve those samples directly from Perseverance. And then there's a rocket inside of that lander that's actually going to send those samples back to Earth. As a backup to getting those sample tubes from Mars back to the lander, we're designing the next generation of helicopters to not only be able to pick up and carry a sample tube, but also drive around on the surface. Are there any other ways Ingenuity is influencing future Mars exploration? We're looking at a research concept called Mars Science Helicopter. It's a hexacopter, so six rotors in a ring around a central structure. It's about the size of the rover, and you can imagine in the future you will have fleets of these Mars Science Helicopters flying around, bringing important payloads to areas of Mars that we've never been able to access before. What's next for Ingenuity? 
So we're trying to fly faster, trying to fly higher. We've added new flight software capabilities. We can now detect landing sites airborne. Those sorts of winds are coming from the surface of Mars directly into the design of the new sample recovery helicopters. And she's done a fantastic job. Surpassed any sort of metric of success that anyone on the team could have ever imagined for this little tiny four pound spacecraft. This is space time. Still to come, Curiosity gets a major software update and astronomers discover the biggest brown dwarf ever seen. All that and more still to come on Space Time. NASA's Mars Curiosity rover will drive faster and reduce wear on its wheels thanks to a major software download into the six-wheeled car-sized mobile laboratory. Years in the making, the new update introduces 180 changes to the rover's operating system. Curiosity landed in the red planet-scale crater back in 2012 on a mission to see if Mars could once have been habitable and able to support life. And it quickly answered that question with a resounding yes, providing clear and indisputable evidence of minerals that could only form in liquid water and pebbles that could only be rounded by flowing water in streams. The groundwork supported the evidence from earlier rovers and orbital observations that Mars was once a warm, wet world capable of supporting life as we know it. Curiosity is now making its way up Gale Crater's central peak, Mount Sharp, a five-kilometre-high geological layer cake of different strata, which is providing scientists with a textbook history of the red planet's evolution. Curiosity's project manager, Kathia Samora-Garcia, from NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, says the new flight software is essential to the mission. Planning for this update goes back to 2016, when Curiosity received its last software overhaul. Some of the changes this time round are fairly minor, like making corrections to messages the rover sends back to mission managers on Earth. Others simplify computer code that's been modified by multiple patches since Curiosity touched down back in 2012. But the biggest changes will keep Curiosity rolling more efficiently for years to come. The rover can now do more of what mission managers call thinking while driving. That's something NASA's newest Mars rover, Perseverance, can perform in a more advanced way to navigate around rocks and sand dunes. When Perseverance drives, it constantly takes images of the terrain ahead and then processes them with a dedicated computer so it can autonomously navigate during one continuous drive. Although they're siblings, Curiosity is much older and so doesn't have a dedicated computer for this purpose. Instead, it drives in segments, halting to process imagery of the train ahead after each segment. And that means it needs to constantly start and stop over the course of a long drive. The new software will help the rover process images faster, allowing it to spend more time on the move. Now, it still won't let Curiosity drive as quickly as Perseverance, but instead of stopping for a full minute after each drive segment, it will now halt for just a moment or two. And spending less time idling between drive segments also means using less energy every day. Another factor the team are concerned about is the need to maintain the health of Curiosity's aluminum wheels, which began showing signs of broken treads back in 2013. 
When engineers realised that sharp rocks were chipping away at the treads, they came up with an algorithm to improve traction and reduce wheel wear by adjusting the rover's speed depending on the rocks it's rolling over. The new software goes further by introducing two new mobility commands that reduce the amount of steering Curiosity needs to do while driving in and out towards a specific waypoint. With less steering required, the team can now reach the drive target quicker and decrease the amount of wear and tear that inherently comes with steering. Overall, the new software will streamline the task of Curiosity's human drivers who have to write complex plans containing hundreds of commands. The new software update will also allow them to upload software patches more easily than in the past. And it will help engineers plan the motions of Curiosity's robotic arm more efficiently, as well as pointing its mast camera more accurately. This is space time. Still to come, the biggest brown dwarf ever discovered. And later in the science report, Elon Musk announced plans to develop a better, kinder artificial intelligence. All that and more still to come on Space Time. Astronomers have discovered what they think may be the largest brown dwarf ever seen. The gigantic substellar object was discovered using NASA's Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, TESS. The brown dwarf has some 77 times the mass of Jupiter, placing it near the theoretical upper limit of what brown dwarfs can be. Were it much bigger, it would have so much mass it would trigger core nuclear fusion, and instead of being a brown dwarf, it would be a star. A report on the pre-press physics website archive.org says the brown dwarf is orbiting a spectral type M red dwarf star known as TOI 5375, located some 400 light years away. Brown dwarfs are failed stars, objects without enough mass to trigger the core nuclear fusion process which makes stars like our sun shine. While some brown dwarves are born as such, others actually do start their lives out spectral type M red dwarf stars. But over the course of their existence, they burn away enough mass during their evolution to cease core nuclear fusion, turning them from red dwarfs into brown dwarfs. Brown dwarfs fit into a category between the largest planets, which have about 13 times the mass of Jupiter, and the smallest spectrotype M red dwarf stars, which is somewhere between 75 and 80 times the mass of Jupiter, or about 0.08 solar masses. At 77 Jovian masses, this brown dwarf comes close to that limit. The newfound brown dwarf companion has been designated TOI 5375b, It's about the same physical size as Jupiter, with an equilibrium temperature of between 931 and 1107 Kelvin. It orbits its host star every 1.72 Earth days at an average distance of 0.025 astronomical units. An astronomical unit is the average distance between the Earth and the Sun, about 150 million kilometres or 8.3 light minutes. Astronomers say the discovery provides them with important data about the boundary region between brown dwarves and true stars. This is Space Time.
And time now to once again take a look at some of the other stories making news in science this week with a science report. A new study has shown how vaping acts as a gateway to cigarette smoking. The findings reported in the journal Tobacco Control show that early teen smokers who used e-cigarettes were more likely to continue smoking later in their teens and adult years. The study looked at young smokers in the United Kingdom and the United States. Researchers selected teens who began smoking tobacco before the age of 15 and then examined their vaping and smoking habits over time. They say 57% of UK and 58% of US early smokers, respectively, also vaped. As this cohort moved into their late teens, the researchers say those who would use both tobacco and vapes were far more likely to continue smoking frequently. Now, while we're on the subject, a new study shows that people exposed to second-hand tobacco smoke may need to eventually use allergy and asthma medication. The findings, reported in the journal Nature, are based on a study of waste water in a town with a population of around half a million people in southern China. Scientists were trying to determine whether ambient air pollution and exposure to tobacco smoke impacted the amount of allergy and asthma medications used within the town. They say that while days of high air pollution were not associated with increased levels of medication in wastewater, they did find biomarkers for exposure to more tobacco smoke and a higher use of medications. They say the findings clearly suggest that reducing exposure to secondhand tobacco smoke would help people manage their allergies. A new study warns that one in five native Australian mammals living in southern and eastern Australia now face the threat of extinction because of population increase, altered land use and climate change. The findings reported in the journal Current Biology show that Australian animals are among those most at risk of becoming endangered in the future. The study's authors use conservation data to analyse how future risks caused by climate change, land use change and human population increases interact with the resilience of specific species and say that one in five land mammals are now likely to face two or more threats within the next 80 years. They say southern and eastern Australia, together with sub-Saharan Africa, are the potential hotspots for future endangered species. Elon Musk has announced plans to launch his own artificial intelligence platform. The decision follows growing fears that AIs being developed by Microsoft and Google are politically biased, that they could eventually pose a Terminator-style threat to mankind. The founder of SpaceX and Tesla told Tucker Carlson on Fox News that his new Truth GPT AI will provide a counterbalance. Musk says it'll challenge the offerings of Microsoft's ChatGPT and also Google's BARD, which is built on the company's Lambda large language model platform, which last year was rumoured to have achieved singularity and become sentient or self-aware. The multi-billionaire accused Google co-founder Larry Page of not taking AI safety seriously. In fact, he criticised OpenAI, suggesting that they're training their ChatGPT chatbot to lie. He says TruthGPT will try to understand the nature of the universe, as this will be the best path to safety and unlikely to annihilate human civilization. With the details, we're joined by technology editor Alex Saharov-Royt from ITY.com. Elon Musk actually was one of the co-founders of OpenAI. He was supposed to, according to the reports I read, donate about a billion dollars 
to the cause. It was non-profit. In fact, Elon Musk was saying, I'm not sure how I ended up donating to a non-profit and suddenly it's getting uh, $10 billion plus from Microsoft as a for-profit organization. He was saying that's a quite an incredible thing. He'd love to figure out how to get onto that gravy train. And in 2018, uh, according again to the reports that I read, he was having a power struggle with Sam Altman, the current chair and one of the top people at OpenAI. And Elon Musk lost that fight. And so he, according to the reports, abruptly withdrew his support, and even though he was supposed to keep on giving money, he stopped. So OpenAI then had to scramble to find other sources of income. They found a white knight in Microsoft. He's also concerned that uh, many of these people are of the left persuasion, and they are customizing the AIs for their philosophies, not for the philosophies of America's founding and the Constitution there. They're, they're making it woke. And Elon wants to have truth.ai, an AI that you can trust. And he said, that, look, he wants the AI that he has to understand the universe and to understand that humans are part of this universe, and, and we're probably one of the most interesting things about this universe. I mean, sure, planets and black holes and galaxies and gravity and all the rest is pretty interesting, but in the absence of aliens, I mean, humans are the most interesting thing about this universe, and an AI that understands that and wants to help nurture us is not going to be the one that wants to kill us uh, like Skynet uh, has. And as I've said many times and I've said to you on this program, I'd like to think of science fiction movies as a warning from the minds of uh, science fiction writers as a warning to humanity, don't let this happen to you. Don't build the AI that's going to kill you. Make sure there's a kill switch. Musk admits there's there's really no off switch. Well, I mean, there was that famous documentary where the machines turned us all into batteries called The Matrix. I mean, it it was a documentary, wasn't it? Or was that science fiction? I'm not really sure. (laughs) I mean, Asimov wrote The Three Laws of Robotics because he was sick to death of all these sci-fi stories of the robots wanting to kill everybody on the planet. What are the three laws of robotics? So the three laws of robotics are that a robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. The second rule, a robot must obey orders given it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And the third law is that a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. That's Alex Zaharov-Royt from ITY.com. That's the show for now. Space Time is available every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday through Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, Acast, Amazon Music, Bytes.com, SoundCloud, YouTube, your favorite podcast download provider, and from SpacetimeWithStuartGary.com. Space Time's also broadcast through the National Science Foundation on Science Zone Radio and on both iHeartRadio and TuneIn Radio. And you can help to support our show by visiting the Spacetime store for a range of promotional merchandising goodies. Or by becoming a Spacetime patron, which gives you access to triple episode commercial free versions of the show, as well as lots of bonus audio content which doesn't go to air, access to our exclusive Facebook group and other rewards. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.com for full details. And if you want more space time, please check out our blog, where you'll find all the stuff we couldn't fit in the show, as well as heaps of images, news stories, loads of videos, and things on the web I find interesting or amusing. Just go to spacetimewithstuartgary.tumblr.com. That's all one word, and that's Tumblr without the E. You can also follow us through at Stuart Gary on Twitter, 
at Spacetime with Stuart Gary on Instagram, through our Spacetime YouTube channel, and on Facebook, just go to facebook.com forward slash Spacetime with Stuart Gary. And Spacetime is brought to you in collaboration with Australian Sky and Telescope magazine, your window on the universe. You've been listening to Spacetime with Stuart Gary. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. 